It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. Let's get started. Father, I pray that uh, today would be marked by your presence. Lord, I uh, just ask that your Holy Spirit would prepare our souls to encounter you in a greater measure, a greater degree, a greater depth, and that our spiritual eyesight would behold your glory. Lord, I pray that we would press into you uh, at a greater measure, that we would discover a greater intimacy. Lord, I ask that you would search us. If there's any blockade, anything that is hindering us from moving forward with our King, I pray that you would illuminate it and that we would quickly discard of it. And uh, Lord, we just simply desire to know you and to make you known. And I ask that this morning's message would work in that direction in our lives. Uh, We love you and trust you and praise you. It's in the precious name of Jesus Christ that we ask this. Amen. All right. Well... Uh, for those of you that are uh, familiar with our flow, we're getting more and more of a, a pattern and a tradition going here uh, with Daily Thunder. But uh, on Fridays, I'm going through what's called the Gospel Toolkit. And uh, since I, I missed last Friday, I think it was last Friday. Maybe I, oh, I was here last Friday. It was the Friday before. So it's been a little intermittent that I missed. So this is our fourth one in, in this series. But it comes, there's actually 35 of these that I'll be going through. And a few years ago, I want to say three or four, uh, Nathan Johnson and I uh, outlined and mapped out 35 different locations, and we actually set them around our campus, uh, and we had a practicum group that was here, and we were training them in how to share the gospel. It was a really fun project, and we had uh, the students uh, actually made uh, short films about it, and we had a, a film uh, what's that called, film festival, (laughs) Uh, and uh, voted on them. It it was a lot of fun. But it had 35 locations, and so in each of their films, they needed to bring these out. And each of these stops is a dimension when you're sharing the gospel that you want to bring out. You want to illuminate in someone's soul. And a lot of times when you encounter someone uh, with the gospel, they actually may know certain things along the way out of these 35, but you still need to make sure And so when someone is transferring from darkness into light, it is imperative that you give them the full counsel of understanding of, no, you need to leave that, set that down, come over here, pick this up. And there's a a process in our soul. And so as I go through this, they're very simple. They're so elementary because at first you'd be like, 35 things. I need to remember 35 things. They're all micro steps. And some of them join together, as you'll see today. The one I'm giving today actually joins together with last Friday's, uh, and with, without each other, they don't work. In other words, they're, they're composite. Uh, so the Gospel Toolkit, I have a subtitle for the whole series, 35 Essentials to Getting Off to a Right Start in the Kingdom of Heaven. And this is episode number four in the series, and it's simply called Repent. Uh, a wonderful word, isn't it? To repent. It's, a lot of people are not attracted to that word. It has a very negative connotation to people. When in actuality, the concept is wonderful. It's beautiful. It's profound. And it's not a concept that you just experience once or you need to hear once in your life. It is something that you literally inculcate and work into the, uh, the depths of your soul constantly throughout your life. 
And so I, I think this will be a very uh, meaningful uh, time together this morning just to meditate upon the concept of repenting uh, just in and of itself. So last Friday, we talked about uh, believe your Savior. I'm going to go through actually uh, the, what's in our gospel toolkit so far. So this is the fourth episode. So if you're listening via podcast, on, on the screen right now, I have the four different things that we've done, including today's, which is see your need, then see your Savior, and then believe your Savior, and then repent. Now, for those of you that know the flow of Scripture, the, the phrase is repent and believe. And as a result, you could say, why isn't repent before believe? Well, what I would say is repent is a sub uh, category under believe. And it is something that cannot be taken away from it. it, it they, the two are combined. If you really have true belief or faith is what it's called in scripture, then what you have is repentance is a part of it. And so as a result, technically this would be like a sub point under three, but so that we can lift it out and, and show its, its beauty and, uh, its individual attractiveness, we're going to do a whole session on it. So you would be correct in saying, hey, why is believe and repent separate? Well, they're the same. They're one and the same. But we want to bring them out because they have nuance. Each one of them has a nuance that is separate. So I have read this, I, I want to say, uh, the last three times. But uh, it's, it's a very significant scripture. And Jesus is saying, uh, it says, when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So there's two things happening here that I want to draw out. One is that unless you recognize you're sick, you don't call upon a physician. That's what Jesus is saying is it's important that you see your need. You see your sickness. Then you recognize that I am the physician who can do it. Then you come to me as your physician. And if you do that, then I can truly help you. And so what he is also saying here is that he is calling sinners to repentance. So it is a very specific thing because we could say, and it would be a reasonable statement, you could say, I thought he was calling us to believe in him. Well, he is. Repentance and believe are one and the same. They work together in harmony. If, if you were going to jump in the pool and I would say, you need to dive down and grab that quarter off the bottom of the pool. That could be a specific action. It's called diving into the, the water and uh, picking up the quarter in the bottom of the pool. Now, if I also said, hey, 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 you need to close your mouth and hold your breath, you would say, wasn't well, that obvious? Well, to some it is, but then there's the people that are choking and gasping that didn't understand that. And so I would say to repent is obvious to many, but it isn't obvious to some, which is why it's important for us to weave it in as a specific, even though to believe in Christ, to receive the Christ, as some would say it, actually means you have to let go of what you're currently holding on to. And that's very, very important, which is the idea of repentance. So this is all reviewed. Two kinds of lost people. There are those that are blind to sin and those that are awakened to sin. So as a result, when we are sharing the gospel with those that are lost and dying, we need to recognize that there's two states that they could be in. Some that actually are completely unaware that they are sinful and in need of a savior. They don't recognize they're sick, so therefore they're not going to call on their physician. But there's others that know very well that they're sick. They, they're very acquainted with their sin, 
And as a result, the way you approach them is very different. The two stages of spirit revelation, we'll call it the convincing of the law is number one, and the invitation of grace. You see, when we were walking through the previous uh, sessions in this little series, we talked about the fact that if someone is blind to sin, the tool that is needed for them is the law. And the law awakens, it converts a sinner. It shows them, it proves to their soul that they are in fact a sinner. You see, if someone doesn't know they're sick, then they don't call on the physician. If someone doesn't know they're a sinner, they don't call upon the Savior. And so the first dimension was see your need, and then it was see your Savior. But you don't see your Savior unless you see your need. And so as a result, you need to see your need, then you see your Savior, then you need to believe your Savior. So the convincing of law is one of the dimensions that must work. Some people are already past that. And so what do they need? They don't need law. When you go out there, there are people that are so miserable in their sin and they want away from it, but they don't understand that God loves them and desires them. So that person doesn't need law. They need grace. They need the invitation of grace. God loves you. You see, some of us are afraid of giving that message that God loves them because we don't want to have a mushy gospel. It's like, oh yeah, it's just God. They need to know that they're a sinner. Well, they might already know that they're a sinner, which means you don't need to labor to make them miserable. They're already miserable. Now you need to help them hear the good news and understand it. So here's just a fact. A man can be awakened to his need but still not be introduced to his Savior. Isn't that just a strange thought to think around this world that people know their need of a Savior but have never seen Jesus? And as a result, that's why they turn to other religions. That's why they turn to drugs. That's why they turn to alcohol. That's why they turn to various things to medicate their soul is because they are in a state of misery. They know they have problems in their life, but they don't know how to solve those problems, all right? Which is very important for us to recognize as gospel tears. The amazing work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the key in this process of winning a soul. A soul cannot even be awakened to sin without the work of the Holy Spirit. And a soul cannot be stirred to see the value and the merit and the virtue of Christ without the work of the Holy Spirit. And a soul cannot believe in the Savior without the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, and again, that fits with today. A soul cannot repent and give up its previous life without the work of the Holy Spirit. This is a work of grace that saves a man. And so, in Matthew 16, we see Jesus talking about this very thing. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? The son of, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Well, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, it's God who reveals that Christ is the answer, that Jesus is that Christ. And so as a result, that's an important thing for us to remember as we are growing in our comprehension and understanding of how to wield the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can't awaken a soul, but I still am responsible to give the truth that God will use to awaken them. All right, so... I, I, this is still a review from last week. A man can be introduced to his Savior, but still not believe his Savior. How many people know about Jesus and have been told about Jesus? That doesn't mean that they believe in Jesus. So factual knowledge, you could, if, I, if I said, Did you, do you believe that a man named Jesus 
lived 2,000 years ago, that he was born in Bethlehem, grew up in, uh, as a Galilean, and his family lived in Nazareth. It's like, who really cares? That's just data and facts. It doesn't change anyone. And you could say, yes, I believe it, but that doesn't mean your life has been changed by this man. Believing in the Savior is what we covered last Friday. It's an extremely important dimension of the Christian life. So here's our addition uh, for this week. A man can believe, now I'm putting quotes around believe, because true believing involves repentance. But a lot of people believe, or they say they believe, and it's like this uh, true-false test. Uh, Did Jesus Christ uh, die 2,000 years ago? They're like, true. In other words, they believe facts, but they don't believe that what he did is theirs. Okay, It's like this strange disassociation, but it's still called believing to many people today. A man can believe in his Savior and not ever repent. That's just a, that doesn't even make any sense, of course, when you understand believe. It, it doesn't make sense because it is an irrational, illogical uh, thing. But that's why it's important that we as gospel tears walk people through a clear understanding of repentance so that this disease never creeps in. So again, this is a review. Capturing one of the most important moments in history. The biblical camera zooms in on a girl and her treasure. Out of all history, we see this moment that God seems to say, hey, bring in the camera crew. I want you to zoom in right here. And multiple gospel accounts are going to share the same story and what is happening in this story. And so the question is, why is it so significant? What happens as a result of this causes Jesus to say something that he only says once in all of his ministry that we can see, and that is that he points out what this woman does and says, this needs to be remembered right here. This needs to be told. So uh, many of you know the story, but uh, this is the conclusion of it and just shows you the significance of what's happening. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So what takes place literally causes Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. So whatever is taking place is a significant moment. And Jesus, I mean, in this very paragraph, you see two massive things happening. Jesus saying, whoa, what this woman just did is very significant. He's taking out his highlighter pen, and he's highlighting this. So we should too. We should recognize that this is very significant. And it's not just because of what he said here, but multiple gospel accounts are going to say the same thing. And so what we have is a turning point in history. Jesus is, is literally, his, his going to the cross is going to begin right here. This is where it starts with his betrayal. And so something very significant is happening. So what did this woman do? Here's my answer to that. She gave a startlingly clear picture of the proper human response to the grandeur of Christ. When you see who Jesus is, what do you do in response? So when we're sharing the gospel and the Holy Spirit is awakening a soul to who Jesus is, this is important that we remember Mary. We remember Mary of Bethany and what she did in seeing the same thing. So faith. What is it? How does it work? So this is what I went through last week. First, what exactly is faith? And so I gave a whole bunch of different options uh, for understanding because it's a, it's a unique thing to try and express, and oftentimes metaphor is the best way to express it. A.W. Tozer said it's simply the gaze of the soul upon God. It's where you see something in another realm, and you behold it, and it changes the way you live because you know that that is real. 
Dr. Erwin Moon uh, from the Moody Science Series, he called it sitting in the chair. So in other words, if, if you believed that that chair was able to hold you up, faith would sit in it. It wouldn't just stare at it and go, well, I think it could hold, hold me up. Well, prove it by sitting in it, trusting it to hold you. Bruce Olson, when he was talking to the Motolone Indians down in South America, he was trying to describe to this people that did not even have a word for faith in their dialect, and he said they all, they all lived in a common house, and they tied their uh, hammock strings to the rafters, and that's how they slept. So it was basically to take your hammock string of your soul and to tie it into Jesus and then lay down in it, and that was his description of faith. Nathan Johnson gave the illustration a few weeks back in one of his talks, and he was saying you're, you're pushed out of a plane, and you're falling, and it's not looking good for you. Why? Because you don't have a parachute. And over here, someone in the plane throws out a parachute, and it's falling next to you, and they say, right there, that is your salvation. Put it on. Faith would not just wave at it. It would not give a thumbs up to the parachute. It would put it on. And so as a result, what you see is believing or faith is an action. It is a verb. And very simply put, faith is pulling a Mary of Bethany, which I'm going to go into in just a second at a greater level, just like I did last week. So how does faith work? Faith is made up of two soul operations that when combined create a unique and ready atmosphere for spiritual revolution in the inner man. So those two are two that you should be familiar with as we're talking here. Repent. It's an action of denial, a letting go, a giving over, a turning away, and then believe. It's an action of acceptance, a grabbing hold, an allying with, a turning toward. It's interesting because both of those are seemingly exact opposites, but they're both needed. And that makes sense when you understand that as an unbeliever, you're holding on to something. And to become a believer, you need to let go of what you're holding on to, and you need to hold on to something new. And so as a result, you're in a kingdom, one way or the other. You're in the kingdom of darkness or you're in the kingdom of light. So if you're in the kingdom of darkness, you need to get away from it. You need to get rid of something here and get something here in the kingdom of light. And so these two work together to form how faith works. Now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. This is in Mark 1 and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. So then what does Jesus say? Repent and believe in the gospel. So this two, uh, go, these two go together, and I'm going to say the essence of what believing is involves repentance, even if it doesn't always say that in Scripture. In other words, the action of believing involves a letting go to receive so if and i gave this illustration last week but if i had a handful of pebbles and you're trying to hand me a few chunks of gold and i'm like yeah could you just sort of set them on top there and you'd say well they're going to drop this is very precious stuff here i don't want you to lose it uh, maybe we should be over some kind of canyon too we're like handing it across and i'm like yeah just set it right there set it on top you're like i'm not going to set my gold on top of your hand you need to let go of your pebbles so that you can take my gold you see a grip can only hold uh, one thing at a time, right? And so as a result, it needs to let go of the first so it can take the second. It needs to repent and believe. It needs to let go and take. So uh, if any of you have ever seen, I, I think this is from an old message that I had called Faith That Works. Uh, and this is for Hudson. Hudson loves my illustrations. Uh, and uh, I have a big 
fat guy uh, over on the right side of the screen. For those of you that are watching via podcast or listening via podcast, I feel sorry for the, you that you're missing this incredible illustration on the screen. But what I have is a, a picture divided into two halves, okay, right down the middle. And on the right side, you have a big, large guy, uh, okay, it's just a big circle, I'm, I'm not trying, it doesn't have any similarity to anyone that I know, okay. Uh, big, large guy, it's a big circle with a head on top, and he has some eyes that are looking down, and he has his mouth open, and he's looking at something. And over on the right side is a big pile of unhealthy food, okay, now some of you are like, that looks pretty good. Uh, but it's, uh, it's the classically American understood idea of unhealthy food. And that's a McDonald's, what, like Big Mac fries and a Coke, okay? It's over there. Now, whether or not you agree that that's unhealthy really doesn't make any difference. Just for now, at least take it to mean that. That this is killing you right there, okay? Uh, that that uh, McDonald's meal uh, is killing you, okay? And then on the right side, we have a pile of vegetables and fruit. Okay, now to be honest, the coloring in these pictures doesn't make anything look very attractive. So that fruit and vegetables, they are healthy, by the way, in this uh, illustration that I'm giving you, even though they don't look very good over there. Okay, now I also have a word over there that says ignorant unbelief. You see, what this big guy is doing is he is, his gaze and his, the focus of his life is on his McDonald's food. And what is he eating? He's eating that which is unhealthy. What is the result? Well, according to the picture, he's getting fat. He's getting overweight. He's getting all sorts of fatty tissue around his heart. This guy's about to have a heart attack and die. Okay? He is not doing well. Okay? And as long as he continues in this condition, what's going to happen to him? Yep. He's dead. Okay? That's exactly like us in sin. And we are ignorant of the fact that there is something better, a Savior, Jesus Christ, something that can solve our problems, uh, our uh, fatty issues, and yet we don't know about that. If no one's ever told us about the good food, well, then what's going to happen? We're just going to keep eating the bad food and die. And so this is called ignorant unbelief. Ignorant meaning you don't know about it. Unbelief meaning how could you believe in something you've never heard about, okay? So you can't take the good food if you've never heard about the good food, okay? Now, the next slide has the same picture, right? Same fat guy still on the right, and yet... There's an arrow that instead of him staring at the bad food, he's staring at the good food. In other words, someone has just told him about the good stuff. So maybe it was you. You were out on the street and you talked to the big, large guy, and you're like, hey, there's good food. You don't need to be eating this McDonald's uh, meal anymore. You could actually slim down and get all that fatty tissue from around your heart to go away, and you could live, right? And so he hears about it, but what's he still eating? There's an arrow from the McDonald's food that's still in his mouth. In other words, he knows about the good food now, but he's still eating the bad food. You know how many Christians function like this? I'm going to call this stunted, non-working, unrepentant belief. In other words, oh yeah, yeah, I know that there's good food. Sure, it's over there. It's on the left side of the screen. But wait a minute, you're not eating it. You see, you've never repented of your bad food and turned from it. So therefore, you're still eating the junk even though you know about the good stuff and believe the good stuff is there and you might even believe the good stuff could make you healthy and it could slim you down. However, you have no action in your soul to give up the first to take the second. Or you could call this knowledgeable unbelief. In other words, you're really not believing in the classic sense of what Jesus teaches. 
but you're knowledgeable about it. That's a dangerous state. And many in the church today have fallen into that state. But it keeps you fat. It keeps you dying. Oh, look at that picture. This is a fun one, guys. So for those of you via podcast, what has happened is the guy switched to the other side. He moved to uh, the, the right side of the screen and uh, the, he left the, the McDonald's meal behind. Yay! He left it. He didn't just hear that there was good food. He actually left the bad food behind to go to the good food, the big pile of vegetables and fruit. And look at it. Look how much different he looks. I mean, this is a real change in his life. He has slimmed down and he is looking, I mean, athletic. I mean, you have to admit, that guy, that guy looks nice. And so this is repenting and believing. In other words, he doesn't just know about something but keeps eating the bad stuff. He gives up the bad stuff and gives his life to the good stuff. He transfers from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light or the kingdom of unhealth into the kingdom of health, also known as true Christianity. So zooming in on the idea of repentance. So the illustration I've probably used more than any is imagine that you are a glass. You can see through you. And you can see inside, and there's some really filthy water. I mean, it's just disgusting. I was cleaning out my pond last night, and it was, oh, it was disgusting. I don't know, that, that algae stuff. There was some purple type of stuff that was in there, and it's just filthy, okay? And that's in us, okay? It's, it's filthy water. It's, it's ugly water, right? And God comes to us and says, hey, look, I have some living water, uh, and I'd like to put it inside of you. So we're like, oh, great, just pour it in. And yet he says, well, if I'm going to pour it in, I need you to dump out what's already in there. You see, we want God to just pour in on top when in actuality what is required for each of us as Christians is that we dump out what's already in there. And that's the yucky stuff. It's us. See, what, what's yucky about us is that we're in control of our life. Hey, I, can I have life on my terms, my way, eating whatever I want, living however I want, saying whatever I want, and then God, you can pour your living stuff on top of that. When he says, you need to give up your old life. You need to dump out that polluted water, and then I have a vessel that I can fill. He can't fill something that's full. You need to empty it so that he can fill it. All right, putting off the backpack full of bricks is my second point here. Now imagine you are, we're taking Nathan Johnson's illustration of being pushed from the plane, and you're falling to the ground fast. Now someone else in the plane throws out a parachute, and it's, it's falling down next to you, you know, so you're like here, you know, screaming, Aah! and then there's a parachute right next to you, and the guy from the plane goes, hey, that parachute, put it on, pull the ripcord, it will save you, okay? Now, like I said, to wave at the parachute, to give a thumbs up to the parachute, does not cause what that parachute has to offer to be yours. What you need to do is put on that parachute, and that is faith. However, imagine you're wearing a backpack full of bricks. And so you're like falling down because of this. So what God is saying is, well, because you're like trying to get the backpack on, uh, you know, the parachute on. You're like, it doesn't fit. You need to get rid of your backpack full of bricks. Then you can fit into that parachute, okay? It's repent and believe. So many of us have something that's already there. It's a false savior. 
And so we're like thinking, oh, this backpack full of bricks will sure help me as I fall from the plane. You try and pull the rip card on your backpack full of bricks, maybe a brick flies out. In other words, it's not doing anything. Nothing's saving you. So what do you need to do? You need to put off your trust in all other saviors, your backpack full of bricks, so that you can put on the true savior, that, ba- that parachute, and pull the ripcord. Untying the hammock streams for the faulty beam. So imagine that there's a beam and it's, it's cracked and it's like every night it's like, and your, your hammock goes, sort of slides, and then it goes, slides, and then someone comes to you and says, uh, we have a really strong beam over here, uh, and they're like, well, I like my beam. It's like, yeah, but if you stay over there, you're going to fall, okay? You're, you're going to crash in the middle of the night. Bad things are going to happen. You could break your neck and die. And so what do you need to do? You need to untie your hammock strings from one beam and tie them to the healthy beam. That's, again, repenting and believing. It's not just tying into a beam. It's, getting your, it's untying from the previous beam, and that's the repentance. Letting go of your monkey grip on the shiny object. So in, in the book, God's Smuggler, I don't know if you guys have read that, but God's Smuggler, it talks about catching monkeys, uh, and uh, Brother Andrew in that story had a monkey for a little bit of, of the book, which is sort of a fun yet sad uh, dimension of the story. And I guess monkeys are so curious that uh, what, what people would do is they'd, they'd stick like a, I don't know if it was a bottle with an open top, uh, and they'd stick some shiny object in the bottom, coin or you know, some metallic thing, and a monkey would reach up and, and put his uh, little fist in there and grab it, and then he couldn't get his arm out because of his fist. And so he's stuck there. And the monkey will not let go of that even when someone's coming to get him. And so someone's coming to pick him up and, and snatch him and capture him. And a monkey will still hold on to that shiny object. And you could say, what a dumb monkey. And yet how many of us do the same thing? In other words, the devil's like, ha-ha, gotcha. And we're holding on to our sin, unwilling to let go of it. Meanwhile, he's catching us. It's like what Jesus says is, let go so that you can be freed from that bottle, so that you can be freed from that snare. This is a trap. Let go of that which you're holding on to. That's repenting. Letting go, not so that you can be miserable. A lot of people think, oh, yeah, God wants us to repent so we can be miserable. No, so that we can be free. It doesn't make any sense. You can get a pile of gold if you can let go of your pebbles. And people are like, oh, yeah, look how hard God is. No, no, he's trying to give you gold, guys. In other words, what he's giving you is life, and we're holding on to death. This isn't God being mean. This is us being stupid. We need to let go of that which we are holding on to so that God can have our life. Pulling a Mary of Bethany. What did Mary of Bethany do? She repented and believed. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he, Jesus, sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask, which is a jar or a container, of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask or the jar or container and poured it on his head. So the word in the Greek for very expensive or very costly oil of spikenard is pastikos. Pastikos means the object of one's faith. This was her backpack full of bricks. This is what she was trusting. She had her monkey hand wrapped around a, a bright, shiny object known as spikenard. It's worth a lot. In, some trans, in, in different, a different gospel account, it says that it's worth a year's wages. That's a lot of value to someone. 
and her grip is on it. And when she sees Jesus, what does she do? She repents of her confidence in that spikenard by doing what? By breaking it out on him. She gives it up. She lets go of it. Why? Because she's found something greater. This is the picture that Jesus sent his circles in the Bible for us. See what that woman did? Right there. This is it, guys. She gave up. She let go so that she could grab a hold of something greater. She found her Savior. If you're holding on to spikenard and you find Jesus, what should you do? If you're holding on to something so subpar and so inferior to the grandeur of Jesus Christ, let go of it. Give it up. Repent of that. God wants to give you something, but your grip is holding on to the wrong thing. Let go so that you can take a hold. Mary's repenting and believing. She saw his goodness. She adored his mercy. She praised his beauty. She gave up all that stood between, and she removed every obstacle to fellowship, surrendering to his leadership and worshiping him in all his wonder and glory. That's the amazing picture of Mary of Bethany. In other words, you see it. You see how beautiful he is. And what do you do as a result? You let go. You let go of all that is inferior, all that is of this earth. It all grows strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So just as a key exercise for each one of us, because when you're sharing the gospel, it's important to bring this to the surface in everyone's soul is to recognize you're not just asking them to pass a true-false test. You're wanting the Holy Spirit to have awakened them to see the beauty and the virtue of Jesus Christ, and you need to request of them that they let go of all that would hinder them from receiving him. If they have a backpack full of bricks on, they need to put it off. If they have a grip full of pebbles and God's trying to give them chunks of gold, they need to let go of their pebbles. They need to let go of the inferior so that they can take hold of the greater. That's how life works. If their cup is full of polluted water, they need to dump it out to receive it. But the same thing is true with us. At any point, you know that we can actually set down gold chunks and grab a hold of uh, pebbles again? It's really weird how we do that. Why would, you, why would you go back to a pebble? It's like a dog returning to vomit. That doesn't make any sense. You ever seen a dog do that? And you're like, that's disgusting. Yeah, and that's what God says. Uh-huh, it's kind of like that, what you're doing. In other words, we're returning to something that is so inferior. It's so disgusting. A dog has fresh food right over here, and they go to their vomit? Yuck! What do we have? We have Jesus, and yet we go to the things of this world to find satisfaction. Whenever we see ourselves doing that, what should we do? We should repent and believe. We should let go afresh and say, Jesus, this grip is for you alone. It's interesting, if you've ever studied uh, Jacob in the Old Testament, his name means heel grabber. Isn't that a weird name to get? Like your mom's like, oh, I love you so much. You're a heel grabber, deceiver, supplanter. And that was his name because he was grabbing Esau's heel when he was, when he was born. And yet that's exactly what he was. He was a grabber. He was a grabber for everything of this earth. And you know what he wasn't grabbing? God. And so the whole while in his life, he's grabbing the wrong thing. He's using his grip incorrectly. And then the key moment in his life is when he runs into God Almighty. And he seems to finally let go of the heel of Esau, the firstborn, the flesh, the, the life that we always try and make work. And he grabs a hold of God. 
and he got a new name. His name is Israel, which could be basically termed the God grabber. You see, many of us function as Jacob when we need to be living as Israel. We need to let go and hold on to our God with our grip. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So guys, uh, I guess as far as our action of soul, it's not just us being ready to give the gospel and to call a dying world to repentance and faith, but it's us walking in that repentance and that faith. It's us exercising it daily. A lot of us as Christians think that the actions of Christianity happen once in our life, and then we just sort of coast. When in actuality, these exercises of soul are what we do all the time. And it could even be over very small things, a tone of voice, an attitude, a thought that flits through the brain, where you immediately let go of it. You immediately turn from it, and you believe And so it's an action of your soul that you need to become excellent at. Not just practice it once, but practice it always. That we're always letting go of darkness, always letting go of the things of this world. Richard Wurmbrandt used to say that the best way to prepare for persecution, and, you know, because persecution, you don't have a lot, right? You could be in a prison cell. You could be in a concentration camp. All right, why? Because you're a Christian. And so he says one of the best ways is to go into a grocery store, and walk down the aisles and recognize all the things you don't need. And so he would go in and he'd go, I don't need that. I don't need that. I can live without this. I can live without that. It's a fascinating statement because most of us are like, I really want that. I really want that. I really want that. I really want that. It's a form of coveting. And so as a result, we, we're clinging in a strange way to the things of this earth. And so what Richard Wormbrandt says is, hey, why don't you do the opposite? Why don't you let go of the things of this earth and prove to your soul that you, are, you have sufficiency in Jesus Christ? Repent. <laughs> let go. Turn from it. I, I don't know what your bait would be. If you think about a grocery store, I'm trying to think what mine would be. It would probably be something in the sugar cereal section because I never get those. Leslie, you know, we have this very healthy house. And so I go to the health food section and I try and look for something that is exciting. There's nothing in the uh, healthy cereal section that's ever very exciting to me. So I get something called Mom's Best because it's in the health food section and it's Mom's Best, which means it must be healthy, right? So I bring it home and Leslie picks it up. She's like, the first ingredient is sugar. And, I, and I'm thinking, uh, it's, it, it's Mom's Best though, okay? And it's in the organic food section and Leslie still doesn't so I I still have a little conviction even but I'm not excited about it so I could probably look at my mom's best honey nut Cheerios uh, and I could say I could live without that it's not that good right it's not as impressive as like real honey nut Cheerios and so there's certain things but all of us have those in this life for some of us it's cars for some of us it's clothes for some of us it's music and if anyone were to touch that and say could you go without that oh I can't go without that. Right there is where you want the Holy Spirit to touch you. Right there. Because when you are in solitary confinement, you don't have any of that. And yet, did you know that many, I mean, who knows, countless Christians throughout the ages have testified that when all was stripped away, Jesus was not just enough, but he overwhelmed them with his his presence. And one man, as he left uh, prison, declared that it was as a honeymoon with Jesus after 10 years of being in darkness. Could you imagine what that would be like? 
Uh, and actually, I think that guy was one year in darkness. Richard Wormbrandt was 10 years. He was one year in total blackness, and his eyes, he'd started to go blind because he had no light. And he said it was a honeymoon with Jesus. That's what we want to see cultivated in our life. All right? So if there's anything that you're clinging to, anything that you're craving, I just want you to allow the Holy Spirit to touch that afresh today and just ask you to let it go. I can live without that because I have Jesus. Father, we can give up this world and be more satisfied than we ever have been. We can let go of the things of this earth and find full satisfaction in you. Lord, I pray that each of us would risk letting go today, that we would find the glory of your presence. We would find that in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Lord Jesus, we desire the real version of Christianity, and that comes with letting go of the false and the counterfeit. Lord, we love you. We declare that you are faithful and true and worthy of our lives. It's in the precious name we pray. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.